No Ugly, Yes Please. No Ugly is created in New Zealand by a small, determined and innovative team whose mission is to eradicate ugly. It's inherent in the ingredients we choose, the products we create and our business values and behaviours. We are proud to be part of the global wellness movement, making a difference for the wellness of our people and our planet, right here from the cleanest, greenest country at the bottom of the world. No Ugly's range of functional beverages are scientifically formulated to get you back to gorgeous. With natural ingredients, they've created a truly functional range of beverages with proven health claims. And unlike any other health drinks, their entire line is low sugar but tastes amazeballs. Get back to gorgeous with No Ugly Skin and 10 grams of marine collagen. Detox, the hangover dream. Hydrate, like an isotonic rain in the desert. Libido, yes, yes, yes. Immunity, it's to live for. Sleep, sweet dreams. Focus, your personal laser. Gut, for shits and giggles. And now calm, it's like a cuddle from your mum. They have three different formats, 250ml glass bottles, 330ml cans, and now 100ml glass shots. No ugly? Yes, please. This is the I Quit Sugar podcast, Unprocessed, brought to you by No Ugly Wellness Tonics. Hi, I'm JJ from I Quit Sugar. And I'm Peter, founder of Goodness Me, which is your go-to good-for-you grocery store. We're here out of a deep desire to help you live your healthiest life. We've both been through health journeys which have been transformative in how we live our lives and approach each day. After learning how to manage my autoimmune condition through food and lifestyle, I realised that we live in a world where we are overfed and undernourished, but it can be as easy as some simple changes that can have a huge impact on how your body operates and how you feel day to day. I've also been through a very confusing and oftentimes overwhelming health journey which started with gut dysbiosis and developed into thyroid issues and now an autoimmune condition that I'm still learning about. We don't want you guys to go through what we have. It can be a lonely, overwhelming and often conflicting and confusing world. So we're hoping that these conversations inspire you to dig a bit deeper, cut through the noise and help you live a healthier life. Health is wealth at the end of the day. So I Quit Sugar are bringing you an eight-episode series where we interview some incredible people who have so much wisdom to share on different areas of health and well-being. It's our hope these conversations inspire you to take control of your health and live your fullest life in the process. Our guest today is Asha Everts, the OG expert, clear skin goddess, nutritional genius. We think she might have magic powers. Asha pioneered the inside-out, outside-in approach to skin after going through her own acne and pigmentation experience. She wanted to create an evidence-based demystifying solution for beauties that don't want to rely on band-aid fixes like the pill or Accutane. And guess what? She did it and more. Through her clinic, the Clear Skin Experts in Melbourne, Asha and her team are passionate about taking the shame and stigma out of acne and healing for happiness. She changes lives and gives people their confidence back. We told you, magic powers. She even has a cat named Lola. All she needs is a flying broom. Asha, thanks so much for joining us. We're so excited to get stuck in, but we'd love to start off by asking you what's one ritual you did this morning to set you up for the day? 
Hi, guys. Thanks for such an amazing intro. It's really lovely to be here today. Um, the ritual that I do every morning is uh, not so popular, but I am addicted. Um, I actually have a cold shower each morning. Uh, so I love it for skin health and I also love it for resetting the nervous system. So it's a great way to start the day. JJ, that's our sign to, to start trying those. <laughs> our our um, episode prior was about cold therapy. So there you go. And we we didn't discuss this prior. This was not a planned <laughs> response. I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. <laughs> Tomorrow morning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. You can do it. <laughs> nice. So um, we wanted to chat about holistic skincare. And what we mean by that is about talking about the impact of diet and in particular sugar on skin conditions and aging. And I think JJ and I both big believers in the power of food. So we'd love to hear your take on it. Absolutely. Um, so today I'm going to be coming from a functional nutrition perspective. So it's a very holistic approach and something that I've been using for about the past 11 years. So it's not just about the biochemistry of food, um, but also, you know, how that interrelates with stress and genetics exercise, um, sleep. So I, I do feel that it's all connected. And I think that that's where the magic is as well. So basically, when we're talking about sugar and skin, sugar and aging, it's really everything. Um, we want to be metabolically fit, because that's the best way to age. Um, and you know, even if you were a Zen monk and you ate a, a lot of sugar, your glucose is still going to go through the roof. It's still going to drive inflammation and cortisol. So it's one of those things. It's like one plus one equals two. Um, and when we're talking about blood sugar, when we're talking about insulin, you know, even if you're not diabetic, you need to pay attention to blood sugar if you want beautiful skin because glucose levels impact the rate at which we age. And when we spike our insulin, which, you know, the data says that most of us are doing this, you know, 90% of us are doing this daily. What happens is the mitochondria, which is the engine of our cell, becomes overwhelmed and starts producing chemicals called free radicals, which I think we've all heard of, especially when it comes to aging. Uh, and this leads to oxidative stress, inflammation and accelerated aging. Um, managing blood sugar, so managing insulin spikes, is also really key when it comes to balancing our hormones and then also correcting skin conditions, which usually start with, you know, the cascade of that glucose insulin imbalance from food uh, but also from other things so it's not it's not just food that we're looking at when we're looking at insulin which we need to remember is a hormone as well insulin is a hormone our stress hormone cortisol is a hormone as well as the sex hormones that we most commonly associate with hormones but when we're looking at at sugar we also need to be mindful that you know it's not just sort of table sugar that our, our skin recognizes it's those higher gi foods but it's also you know um skipping meals uh drinking coffee on an empty stomach uh too little protein 
which is a really common one, especially for women, especially in the morning. Um, having processed foods and drinks, stress, um, too much or too little exercise, um, being on the pill, which can really affect our insulin levels, antibiotics, and then our gut microbiome as well. And so that's what I mean when I say holistic. We're not just looking at, you know, it being sort of as straightforward as eating sugar. There's other things that we need to consider in that skin aging pathway that affect, you know, our blood sugars and our insulin as well. Right. So many questions after hearing that. First up, I'll start with the first one. Um, Sugars. Does that include sugars you get from fruit as well? Do natural sweeteners count? Is Is it specific or just everything? Yeah, look, and and what before before I say this, I just want to say that everyone is really different, okay? So um women respond differently to men, uh and women respond differently to these things in different parts of their cycle. Um but but to to look at it, you know, there are over 56 sugars. Um, and so we're looking at a number of things and, and a lot of them are hidden as well. And so that's why processed food can be an issue. Um, but yeah, I, I consider things like honey, agave, um, brown sugar, um, all of those things to be sugars as well. We have some nice alternatives. So we have, you know, um, a monk fruit, which is great, highly accessible now through all of the, you know, woolies and coals and things like that. And we've got our stevia, um, xylitol. So there are some really great alternatives. And I think that we need to accept, and I'm going to talk about this a bit later, I think that we need to accept that, you know, sugar is part of life. Uh, We can't avoid it completely. But what we need to be doing is we need to be conscious about it and we need to know how to minimize those effects and those impacts and and hacks. I love a good hack, okay, because, you know, we, we need to live our life um, and so it's all about the 80-20 balance, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, that's it. And there are, there's so many kinds of natural sugar alternatives out there as well, which we'll say, oh, goodness me. So that's good to hear some of them that you've mentioned too. In terms of the coffee that you mentioned, coffee on an empty stomach. Mm, why? I definitely have that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I actually do that almost daily, to <laughs> be honest. So I'd love to hear about and that. And you're not alone. It's one of the biggest things I see. And again, this is where I'm saying that women's hormones are set up differently to men because men have a different innate stress response and they almost thrive on certain stressors and stress hormones in the body where women are different. And because our hormones fluctuate through our cycle, we have different thresholds. And then don't even get me started on the genetics of coffee and, you know, being fast metabolizer and slow metabolizer. So again, everyone's unique. However... Um, One of the first things I do with my clients who are experiencing skin conditions, because we're trying to bring inflammation down, we're trying to regulate blood sugar balance, is really steering them away from having coffee on an empty stomach or coffee in a place of breakfast. Because, you know, in the morning when we wake up, uh, cortisol is peaking and that's a normal healthy thing it's there to wake us up in the morning it's part of our circadian rhythm um, but if we're uh, sort of adding gasoline to the cortisol and increasing it 
that is going to set us up for a roller coaster of blood sugar imbalance for that day, um, inflammation, anxiety, um, and poor sleep issues. So what I ask my clients to do is to eat a protein-forward breakfast uh, by 9 a.m. And then if they're going to have a coffee, then to have the coffee after food. And then if you really want to metabolically supercharge your coffee, you can be adding things like collagen and fiber and cinnamon, which is a blood sugar regulator mm. as well. Um, but, you know, whenever I talk to uh, clients in, you know, one-on-one consults, they come in and they know, they know that I'm going to talk to them about water. They know I'm going to talk to them about lots of things, but it's the coffee that gets everybody. Everyone yes. is really <laughs> attached to their coffee. Um, and so you can even do things like half de- decaf. Mm-hmm. And does it yeah, matter if it's um, a black coffee versus a milk coffee? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Clearly we're, we're a bit fixated on the coffee as well. Uh, Look, all of your audience is going to be really keen to hear all these coffee questions too. Uh, So yeah, definitely a good quality organic black coffee um, is going to be better than having a coffee with milk. And then, you know, we open up that can of worms about which milk to have Mm. with coffee as well, which is like whenever I talk about this on socials, it kind of blows up. (laughs) So, you you know, it's a big difference between having a coffee that's got um, quite a lot of fat in it, like coconut milk, um, compared to having a coffee with oat milk, which is one of my least favorite foods uh, because it's very inflammatory and spikes blood sugar levels. So yeah, there's all kinds of ways to hack your coffee experience. But my re- my real advice is if you have a skin condition, um, your system is already inflamed. It's already got too many stress hormones and we really need to focus on that um, and sort of easing off the coffee until until things are more stabilized. Yep. Okay. And I love that cinnamon hack as well. I do that sometimes and it naturally sweetens the coffee, which is awesome, I find. So oh, it's perfect. And a little bit on top, dust it over the top. It's really nice yep. too. Love that one. So you spoke about glucose and insulin and the impact it has on hormones. Um, can you tell us how that really impacts the gut and skin? Yeah, sure. So really um, with sugar, um, it it kind of um, works in two ways with the gut. So sugar in the gut, like if if we have a healthy micro and diverse microbiome, it's going to metabolize and utilize insulin much more effectively than if it's you know inflamed or leaky or there's an imbalance in the gut bacteria. So that's that's one thing, and there's a lot of research on that. What happens when we have sugar is that it actually causes inflammation in the gut, which can cause a leaky gut. It can also cause gases, which can make us feel bloated. But the real issue with sugar in the gut is that bacteria and yeast, and when I'm talking about yeast, you know, I'm talking about candida, which most people would have heard of. Candida is a real driving force for skin conditions. Mm. These guys, they love sugar. 
So they need sugar for energy and feeding these bugs with sugar um, gives them the energy to multiply and be problematic. And when we're talking sugar in the gut, there's even a massive difference between like one teaspoon compared to two teaspoons. I mean, that's how sensitive the gut is to sugar. So um, we're, we're looking at sugar being a real driver for a dysbiotic uh, microbiome or a dysbiotic gut and feeding those bugs that shouldn't be in large numbers. So would you recommend any amount of sugar during the day or is it just no- nothing at all? I think that that's a really good question and I think that we shouldn't get too hung up on grams um, because that can be quite stressful. And so what I say to my clients is um, let's let's look at it as in um, have you slept well, you know, the night before because a night of bad sleep, just one night of bad sleep is going to make us insulin resistant for the next day. Have, have you slept well? Have you had some protein and fat before you have that sugar? Because that's going to blunt the insulin response a great deal. Um, and then do you know the hacks that you can use after you've had sugar or, or before you have sugar to really minimize the impact of that sugar? Um, do you guys want to know my hacks? Uh. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Please share. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, and this is all evidence-based as well. So basically when you're looking at hacks, because I really believe, like I'm a really big foodie. I love food. I love celebrating food. I really hate the idea of people feeling isolated by being really strict with food. I think that food stress is a real problem. Mm -hmm. And so I think if we can have an awareness around the hacks, then this just works much better to be sustainable because we've all been there, right? We've all been, you know, I'm not having any sugar at all. Um, And then what happens is we rebound and um, we end up, you know, having a binge and things like that. So my top hacks and remembering that these are evidence-based. So if we can have protein, um, and I'm talking like size and thickness of the palm of the hand, by 9am, then metabolically, we're setting ourselves up for the rest of the day to be quite stable. Um, So savoury breakfast, oversweet breakfast. Um, If we... um, can eat um, protein and fat, like I mentioned before, before we have sweets, that's really going to blunt the insulin response. Um, And even just like having um, a salad, like fiber will really, really help to blunt that insulin response. Um, If you do have sugar, then going for a walk for 20 minutes straight after is extremely helpful because what happens is when we eat sugar we uh the the body creates glucose and so if we have glucose in our system then our pancreas is going to secrete the hormone insulin if we can go for a walk straight after having sugar then what happens is that that glucose that's generated from eating the sugar actually gets absorbed in our muscles rather than triggering the insulin response and so the muscles kind of act like a sponge to soak it up so um no no sugar in an empty tummy um 
having protein and fat first and then going for a walk afterwards is really, really helpful. And the other great hack that I have is that having apple cider vinegar. So like a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar in some warm water, just a few minutes before you have that sugar or that high GI, like, you know, carb, carby food is actually going to do a similar thing as the exercise. The acetic acid in the apple cider vinegar is going to make um, the glucose really, it's going to drive it towards the muscles rather than spiking insulin and causing that whole cascade. So yeah, those are my, those are my hacks because we need to be realistic. Mm. Yeah. That's really helpful as well because I was thinking a lot of us have sugar at night after dinner. (laughs) I think that's when it sort of can come out. So, and sometimes too hard to go for a walk at that time. So yes, apple cider yes. vinegar is a great tip as well. I really like Definitely. that. Or you could just do um, some squats in your lounge room. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's, that too. Instead of going for a walk. 9pm. 9pm. <laughs> <laughs> doing squats. Love it. Um, so, Asha, if you were to describe sort of a day on a plate um, for how do I say glowing skin? I don't want to say perfect skin because obviously our skin is always changing. Healthy skin. (laughs) Perfect skin doesn't exist. We want healthy skin. Yes, that's it. Yeah. What would that look like? That is a great question. So um, where I'm coming from is, you know, for every skin condition and for aging, we're wanting stable blood sugar levels. And so um, we're wanting stable blood sugar levels and we're wanting to have um, a low inflammatory diet. Um, But we want it to be fun and we want it to taste good. Um, So there are a few things that I recommend. Um, I've mentioned protein before and, you know, protein's the anti-aging macronutrient. It's um, going to help um, heal skin. It's, it helps produce keratin. Uh, the amino acids in there are um, producing collagen. So, and it's also really useful in blood sugar control. So, if we can look at a day on a plate as a formula, then I find that that helps make it really simple for people. And so I'm all about talking about a formula. And so when we're talking about a formula for a day on a plate, we're looking at being protein forward. So choosing a piece of protein the size and thickness of the palm of our hand, which is generally going to be 25 to 30 grams of protein at every main meal. So then we're getting 90 to 100 grams of protein a day. So day on a plate, we're going to start with protein. Um, we're going to have two cups of above ground vegetables and that's our fiber and that's extremely good for gut health and that's extremely good for um, insulin control as well. And above ground vegetables being, you know, the ones that aren't as starchy um, and high carb. Um, I'm definitely not an advocate of low carb and I'll talk about it in a moment. Then we go with one to three tablespoons of fat. Um, We know that fat is going to have zero effect on insulin our skin is made of protein and fat our hormones are made of fat our brain is made of fat so we're wanting to have between one and three tablespoons of fat with that as well don't be afraid of fat fat won't make you fat Um, and then we're going for a half a cup of starchy veggies or carbs Um, and so women need carbs women need carbs to ovulate women need carbs to um, you know uh, have good progesterone and good sleep so we're definitely not carb adverse Um, it's just you know we need to there's a difference between carb in a croissant and the carbs in a piece of broccoli so 
So there's there's fast carbs, there's slow carbs, there's extra slow carbs. So so if we can look at just a day on a plate, that's that's what I would suggest. What is the food formula? Well, basically it's being protein forward. So picking your protein first, picking a piece of protein that's the size and thickness of the palm of your hand, that's going to give you the optimal amount, which is generally 25 to 30 grams. If you do that over each main meal in a day, you're getting 90 to 100 grams. Um, I find that most women are under eating protein. So that's one of the things that can really transform your skin and your energy. And the next thing would be we want a rainbow on a plate. So we want two cups worth of above ground vegetables. So these are the non-starchy vegetables. And I'll get to the starches because women in particular do actually need carbs. And I'm not a fan of a low carb approach. We've just got to be a bit educated about our carbs. So two cups of above ground veggies. And that's a diverse a range of leafy green vegetables and your zucchinis and capsicums and you know herbs and all of that having a really good and that's going to be so good for your gut as well that fiber um, one to three tablespoons of good fats don't be afraid of fat um, fat is your friend um, our skin is built from protein and fat our hormones are built from fat our brain is built from fat and so we're wanting to choose you know coconut fats or olive oils or olives um, oily fish um, those those kind of um, fats to add to the meal that helps to help us feel full as well. And then you'd add in half a cup of starchy carbs um, or carbohydrates. And as I mentioned, uh, for women to ovulate, for women to have good progesterone, for women to have good sleep, we do need to have carbs. And so that would round off your plate. And then you get extra bonus points if you can add in things like fermented foods like sauerkraut and kimchi and spices. So spices are a super skin food. They're loaded with antioxidants. And um, we've talked about cinnamon, but things like turmeric are absolutely fantastic for the skin as well. So food can be a formula and it can be quite straightforward. Definitely eating for skin is not about, you know, green smoothies and fasting and things like that. There is a place for those things, but not in most women's busy lives on a day-to-day basis. Yep. And I love how you've described everything. It makes it feel much more achievable. And mm. the stress of counting calories or macro, micronutrients, yeah. weighing things. Yeah. yeah, I think. I know I've been through that back in the day and I couldn't think of anything more stressful. And you almost find this food freedom when you eat like this in my, in my experience personally and also from our goodness meat community I'm sure the I quit sugar community mm. as well you hear that so I love how you've yeah. explained that um thank you you mentioned how a lot of women don't eat enough protein and I'm really curious why you think that that often happens yeah sure Honestly, after seeing thousands of women in clinical practice, my observation overall is that most women aren't even eating enough full stop. So one of the first things that we do is actually to increase um, increase the the amount of food um, generally. Uh, I find that women women are under eating, um, and then I think that. You know, with breakfast, there's just a lot of confusion and. 
there's a lot of confusion about breakfast. And I think that if we're starting the day being protein forward, then that can actually be so transformative. And then it kind of normalizes, you know, people are very confused, you know, should I be eating animal protein? Should mm. I be more plant-based? Um, people, people are very, very confused about that when they come to see me. And so giving them the guidelines and talking about how helpful protein is and then when women start to eat more protein and see how much of a difference it makes in terms of skin and mood and energy and satiation because protein is one of the most satiating macronutrients um, then they're sold yeah. it's almost like you need to give people permission to, yes. to eat more protein and fat yeah that's it and I also feel sometimes as women we're juggling so much it's easier to chuck a piece of toast in in the morning and run yeah. out the door or you know you're doing a million things so yeah that's definitely and great that's so understandable because everyone's so busy and what I'm all about is um, making things really quite straightforward so one of the examples I was going to give about a, a breakfast that's protein forward that also has fat and fiber is so easy. It's two boiled eggs, an apple, and two tablespoons of almond butter. That's what I have when I'm in a rush. I don't mm. spend, you know, I've got a business. I don't spend a lot of time in the kitchen um, on a, you know, day to day basis, but it's just being mindful of your mm. macronutrients, mm. really. Yeah, I love boiled eggs for breakfast and my son has just discovered the joy of some pepper on boiled eggs in the morning. <laughs> like, wow, I can't believe he likes it. But yeah, eggs are a big favourite in our household. Your body's actually chocker with natural collagen when you're born. That's why everyone looks amazing when they're young and secondhand when they're old. Sure, collagen's important for your muscles and bones and tendons and ligaments, but let's face it, your skin, hair and nails are the shop front. To get the most out of No Ugly Skin, it's best to treat it like part of your daily skincare routine. Taking one per day will have you radiating natural million bucks gorgeousness. Enjoy it in a moment's peace at any time of the day or throw it in your handbag as you're running out the door. It couldn't be easier. So what's in No Ugly Skin? Collagen, obviously. 10,000 milligrams of gorgeous, ethically sourced French marine collagen which scientifically increases skin elasticity and firmness when consumed daily for at least four weeks. Combining this with No Ugly's hero ingredient, Enzogenol, New Zealand's very own super antioxidant, and with support from vitamin C, No Ugly Skin helps your body keep up production of its own natural collagen. So basically, it's a buy one, get some free deal. All ingredients certified 0% ugly. Let's talk about eczema. I know um, this is something I've had issues with since I was little, mm. and I know both the I Quit Sugar community, Goodness Me community, this is a consistent problem and real, real pain point for people. Mm. What would you recommend in this area? Yeah, absolutely. It is a really big area, and it can it can be very challenging and painful, especially when you have bodily eczema or I see a lot of people who have facial eczema, which is really, really challenging because not only do you have the appearance, appearance factor, mm. but it's a very uncomfortable skin condition. When you're looking that itch, that itch that comes through at nighttime that can be, you know, really disruptive to sleep and really distressing. Um, so, Let's talk about eczema as the beautiful, complex skin condition that it is. There are eight different types of eczema. 
So I think the first thing that is really important to do is to have it properly diagnosed as to which eczema you're dealing with. Um, and we know that inflammation that impacts the skin often doesn't start in the skin. It's like when the red light comes on in your car, the red light's not the problem, it's the engine, yeah? So I think we need to recognize that uh, eczema is definitely one of those conditions that needs to be looked at from the inside out as well. Yeah. When we have inflammation from the gut, it communicates with other systems. Like, you know, there are no borders in the body. There's no customs or passport control. Like everything feeds into everything else. And so the gut can very much communicate with other systems like the skin when it is out of balance. Um, and in particular, the pathway that we see show up in the skin when the gut is triggered is something called um, cytokines. That's what's specifically happening. Imbalances in the gut we know can be caused by antibiotics, stomach bugs, high starch and sugar diets, stress and other factors. And I do find that eczema in particular is hugely triggered by stress. And we know that a recipe for a skin condition is a stress which kicks off the inflammatory cascade in the body combined with a poor skin barrier or a leaky skin barrier and in eczema we generally have both so when we're looking at eczema um, a, a lot of people you know when we're looking at the genetic component of eczema we're looking at something called a filigrin gene deficiency and essentially what that means is that a lot of people with eczema they um, have half of the filigrin protein in their skin than they should have and filigrin is essential for building a healthy skin barrier and this is genetic it's passed on through a parent so if you have eczema and you have a parent who has eczema, it's really likely that you have a filigan gene deficiency, which is just setting you up to have a poor skin barrier. So if you had this gene deficiency and then you had some gut issues, it's almost guaranteed that you're going to develop eczema or have a flare of eczema. And that is very sim putting it in a very simplistic way because we know that there are 16, around 16 different um, triggers for eczema. So we've got eight different types of eczema, 16 different triggers for eczema. And at any one point, someone having a flare is going to be having about five of those triggers interplaying together. Oh, wow. And this is why it makes it so challenging to treat eczema. And so essentially, yes, the gut is usually heavily involved, but we can, and I've mentioned stress, um, but we can also be looking at hormonal imbalances, environmental issues, because if you've got a issue with the filigrin filigrin gene deficiency you're actually more likely to develop allergies 
and also specifically you're more likely to have allergies to cats. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you grow up in a home where there's dogs when you're younger, that's actually going to strengthen your immune system if you have eczema. So that's really interesting. Um, but yeah, we're looking at a number of different factors. So there can be environmental factors, poor detoxification, nutritional deficiencies, mitochondrial dysfunction, heavy metal toxicity, autoimmune conditions. And so we really need an individual approach based on finding out what your exact triggers are and then rectifying those. So generally speaking, the first four things that I would look at if we were uh, addressing eczema would be, does this person have a leaky gut? Um, is a genetic factor involved? So does a parent have eczema as well? And is there a likelihood of the filigrin gene deficiency? Um, are there food allergies or sensitivities? And is there an underlying gut pathogen or infection like candida? So those would be the first four things that I would be assessing. And then obviously the stress is a really big one too. Um, we do need to be careful about, you know, food in eczema, but unfortunately it's not as simple as cutting out gluten, cutting out sugar. Those are going to help in the short term, but we really need to look at those causative driving factors. And it's the same as supplements. We know there are some supplements that are very beneficial, like omega-3 fatty acids, vitamin D, probiotics, uh, St. Mary's thistle for the itch. Uh, but we really need to find out what those causative driving factors are, and that may involve seeing a functional nutritionist or naturopath to get um, some stool testing, see if there is a, a gut overgrowth, see if there is candida, maybe do a hydrogen breath test, see if there's um, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, see if there's small intestinal fungal overgrowth. Um, you can, um, you know, definitely do things around the house to minimise the flare-up and um, not taking hot showers is a good tip. Um, uh, staying away from products that have fragrances and emulsifiers and sodium lauryl sulfate and things like that. And also what people need to know is that even if you're in remission with your eczema, mm. um, because of the barrier um, issue, you really need to be working on the barrier the whole time. So most of the clients that we work with, uh, we're recommending that they're using home LED devices because that can be really, really beneficial, mm. um, not only for the flare-ups, but also in between. Um, and then, yeah, just, just, it is a bit of a, a road to find out your triggers, but once you know your triggers, then they can be resolved and that's, that's the best way. Um, I, I did want to actually touch on topical steroids because yes. I am very passionate about this and I've seen some absolute horror stories. So, Topical steroid withdrawal syndrome is not something that's very well known, um, but it's a very debilitating condition that can arise from the use of topical steroids to treat eczema sort of over the long term. And so what happens is you are prescribed um, topical steroids for your eczema. You use those topical steroids and then you think, okay, well, um, my eczema's not flaring, so I'm going to stop using the topical steroids. And then what happens is after a few days of stopping the topical steroids, um, your skin can become red, itchy, burning, and really mimic a flare-up of eczema 
but it's not eczema. It's topical steroid withdrawal syndrome. Um, and so that leads to a cycle where people will go back onto the topical steroid because they think they're having an eczema flare. And then this can go on for years. And so ultimately, when those people do decide to come off the topical steroids, it really depending on how long I mean I've seen people the worst case I've seen was someone who was put on topical steroids at two years old and came to see me at 23 and was still using them that's so and, and interesting that was... I I actually was prescribed those from a young kid age five I think and used them probably up until my early 20s as well because of exactly what you're describing mm. and interestingly enough my mum has eczema as well so I've never heard the skin barrier thing so but it sounds it's a lot more complex than just saying try this or try that you've got to find out all those triggers and look into things with the right health expert as well absolutely and and just one more thing about topical steroid withdrawal um if you have been using it for more than three months because that's the upper limit of how long you should be using it you really need to get help in withdrawing because you can't come off them cold turkey it's a process of slowly withdrawing and you need a lot of internal support um through that time as well um, you can head over to um, the itsan website which is topical steroid withdrawal syndrome support and they give the most comprehensive information and support on topical steroid withdrawal that i've seen but it can be quite a tough and and long road for that topical steroid withdrawal mm. Mm. interesting i've also heard um, of bleach baths for yeah. eczema and I assume you wouldn't recommend those. I was a bit horrified when I when I heard about them because I had a daughter who had a few issues um, and was allergic to a few things when she was a baby. And, you know, you go down all these rabbit holes and I remember seeing all these mums on forums talking about bleach baths. But I guess, you know, when, when you've got a child that's in pain and suffering, you will literally do anything, right? Of course. And people do. They get desperate because mm. it, it can be really, you know, like if you don't have sleep because you're itching all night, you're, you're going to try anything. Yeah. If we're looking at one of the genetic causative factors being that filigrin gene deficiency that's affecting the skin barrier, then having a bleach bath is going to be quite catastrophic to that skin barrier. So that's my concern around that. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely... Um, not something that I would be advocating, mm. um, but I do understand that quite a lot of people are recommending that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess also with the skin barrier thing, so what you are saying is, you know, address the root cause, but I assume it's all about moisturizing and and trying to strengthen externally as well. Yeah. So um, basically with repairing the skin barrier, it's going to be making sure that we've got the building blocks that the skin needs to um, have a healthy skin barrier and um, also not using anything on there that's going to disrupt the skin barrier. And so many, many, many over-the-counter products have got things like emulsifiers in them, which are going to disrupt the microbiome and the skin barrier. And so it's being, it's being very particular about what you are using topically so that you can repair that skin barrier and microbiome. Because let's not forget, 
that the skin has the second largest microbiome of the body next to the gut and that all resides in the skin barrier um, and so we want to be really careful we want to be making sure that we're using lots of essential fatty acids so there there are ranges where you can use uh, topical essential fatty acids to really be strengthening the skin membrane and the ceramides in the skin and things like that and actually um there are even ingredients like EGCG that's a derivative of green tea polyphenols that can actually help um, rebuild filigrin and help um, help help filigrin. So I think it's I think it's about seeing someone who really knows their skin physiology and their cosmetic chemistry and being able to help from that aspect but the most part of it is not using top topical products that are going to strip the skin barrier mm. in the first place yeah yeah makes sense so asha we wanted to talk to you about premature aging and what people can do to reduce this um how sugar intake comes into play with this and um obviously yeah affect our skin Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite topics at the moment. Um, uh, so the skin can reflect the level of inflammation in the body. It can reflect poor gut health, stress levels, food allergies, and it's a very motivating organ. I think we'd all agree that we want to age well and we want to look good. And it's, so it's very, very motivating. And all age is related to inflammation. Um, so what's happening on the inside will be expressed on the outside. And so we know that sugar drives inflammation and we know that inflammation drives premature aging and even drives something called inflammaging, which is premature mm -hmm. aging through specifically mm -hmm. through inflammation. We know that with sugar, there's a real a very real thing called glycation. So um, when when you have a lot of sugar, it's going to um, have these proteins that attach to the proteins and fat in your body. And it's a bit like rusting it from the inside out. So glycation is almost like when you get a blowtorch on a creme brulee and yep. then you get that crispy, crackly, hard brown crust. That's essentially what sugar does to cause glycation, to cause, you know, irreversible um, damage to the skin that will show up in the skin as wrinkles and sagging and all of those things that we associate with aging. So um, there's, there's, there's definitely that, that aspect um your chronic chronological age you know so i'm 45 can be different to your cellular age all right we know this through advanced testing that we have access to now so uh you can be 45 but your cellular age might be 60 right or if you're having you know very low inflammatory diet and you're taking care of your stress and you're having lots of sleep then you know who knows your cellular age could be 35 so these things are you know we're able to tinker with them which is really cool yeah and apart from the irreversible things like vacation the rest can actually happen in quite a short amount of time 
Um, so, you know, you've got your three kind of top aging accelerators um, like sugar. And I, I've talked about the effect you know, it has on glycation and it has on destruction of collagen and elastin. Um, and then we've got, you know, your vegetable oils, which kind of cause um, bushfires within the body. And then that cause, it causes free radicals and that causes inflammation and, um, and that causes aging through uh, cross-linking and um, weakening the, the skin system. And then you've got alcohol, which we are all fairly familiar with being sort of anti um uh, pro-aging um, uh, in, in the fact that it um, definitely um, makes us more puffy, causes inflammation, puts that stress on the gut and liver. So those would be probably my top three, you know, mm. aging accelerating ingredients. But if you like, I have a, I have a few um, sort of um, m amazing um, anti-aging um lifestyle you know quite easy lifestyle um factors that you can include every day would you like to know what they are yeah sure absolutely yeah great okay so obviously we've talked about you know you are what you eat and you know our metabolic or glucose will dictate the rate that we're aging and we know that as we age we need more nutrients and so we're wanting things like vitamin a vitamin c zinc biotin coq10 um Probably the top two things that I would encourage people to have on a daily basis if uh, they are wanting to be pro-aging would be investing in a really good quality um, omega-3 supplement, so a fish supplement, or eating um, oily fish four to five times a week because we know that that's going to directly affect the inflammation effects on the skin cell membrane. Um, and then the other one might surprise you. So um, I'm a big fan of beef liver. I like powdered beef liver. I'm not. I don't. I don't eat actual beef liver. Yep. But it is the most nutrient dense food on the planet, and it is a hugely anti aging food. So it's one of the most concentrated sources of vitamin A, and we know that we need lots of vitamin A to have really healthy skin and healthy skin DNA, and it's a really anti-aging ingredient. Um, it also contains um, B12, which is an anti-aging ingredient, um, and K2, which helps with calcium absorption, and we know that can be an issue as we age, but what you might not know is that calcium is actually a really important nutrient for the formation of healthy skin cells, um, and it's rich in CoQ10 which is a mitochondrial anti-aging um, nutrient. So I'm a big fan of um, beef liver capsules, organic beef liver capsules, or using powdered um, organic beef liver in food. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting because you mentioned that, you know, you had someone on who was talking about uh, cold therapies. Yes. Um, but definitely hot and cold therapy is one of the most amazing things you can do for um anti-aging um, we know that sauna activates the immune system and creates heat shock proteins that help the, repair the aging related damage to the skin it helps detoxify it's anti-inflammatory it lowers cortisol we know that high cortisol thins skin um, and then alternating it with cold um, is a powerful nervous system reset and brings blood flow and circulation to the skin which is always really really important um, and you can do these things at home you know like uh, people have ice baths at home if you're really brave, you can have a cold shower like I do at home. Um, movement and exercise is um, the number one anti-aging 
thing that you can do and it addresses all of the hallmarks of aging. So it's really important. Um, and then sleep is my other favorite one because we actually produce, I mean, our skin repairs when we sleep, but we produce growth hormone, which is reparative, um, and it does decline as we age. But the interesting thing about growth hormone is that it peaks in the first 90 minutes of sleep. So even if we go to sleep one or two hours late, we're not getting the peak of growth hormone that night. So it's really important if you want to age well, um, please be in bed by 10 p.m. <laughs> I love that. What if what if your child wakes you up an hour and a half in every night? Children are very bad for aging. <laughs> no, it's not in our heads. <laughs> Asha, I've got to tell you that beef liver has been taking off on our shop on Goodness Me and I thought, what is going on? And I think it's like the new collagen that's coming because what you've explained. It's so the new collagen. I'm mm. just obsessed. Yes. Yeah, I'm absolutely obsessed. Yeah. yeah. I feel like a few different people are talking about it. Like you've got functional dentists as well and, yeah, people from all angles. Really interesting. And so that cell test as well that you mentioned, mm. where do you yeah. get that done or how, how does that work? I'll provide some information for the show notes. Um, there are a few different tests. So, you know, as naturopaths, nutritionists, we have access to functional pathology testing, which is very different to the testing you can get done through Medicare. And the labs are often in the States. So it's often a case of um, getting a kit. But look, I'm sure that people can order them themselves. So let me have a look into, because, you know, I, I'm used to working with labs where I order testing for my patients. Right. Um, but let me have a look and see what testing people can order directly themselves like I think there's one called true age okay mm. um, and then you can do that and you can see like we were talking about your chronicle chronological age versus your cellular age which is really cool yeah. and very motivating yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> love to do that um, so pigmentation is that a hormonal issue um, for pigmentation I know JJ was talking to me a bit yeah. about that Something that um, has crept up on me in the past couple of years that I haven't really dealt with before. And I thought, what is this? And it's it's very yeah. frustrating. <laughs> it is. It's very sneaky because, mm. you know, it's one of those things where it's like we're looking at the skin as an iceberg and what we see is the top 10%. And what we can't see is the the 90% the below. We can if you have a, a skin diagnostic um camera like we do but you know so what you don't know is that pigment was probably forming for years and years before you could see it with the naked eye and that's the thing about pigment is that it does sneak up on us um, by the time we see it it's so entrenched in the skin um, but let, let me cover a few points on that and it's also very dear to my heart because my pigment story was um, you know, years ago, I went on the pill for my acne and I didn't realize that a side effect of the pill was melasma. And so I got terrible melasma, um, which is that brown splotchy pigment that you can often get on your forehead or underneath your eyes. People can get that from being pregnant yeah. as well. Um, and so that's when we're saying, yes, pigment is a hormonal issue. 
But really, there are, I mean, pig, pigment is a very complex and temperamental pathway. There are 120 genes involved in the pigment cascade. So there's a lot of room for error in that cascade. Um, but really, um, there are three main causes for pigment. And there's a few different types of pigment as well. So there's pigment that can be um, caused by exposure to the sun and UV and caused um, by exposure to UV through the eyes because it's oh. directly going to the brain and telling us we need to produce. So that's why polarized sunglasses are so important if you have pigmentation. There's hormonal pigment, which I'll go into in a moment. And then there's pigment caused by injury or trauma or heat. Like, you know, if you get a burn and then you've got pigmentation after that, or if you've had an acne breakout, maybe you've picked it and then you've got post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation left behind after that. So basically, melanin is a substance that um, produces um, hair, eye and skin pigment. And really, it's there to help us. It's our friend. Um, it protects us from UV light. And it's like when you get that exposure um, to the UV, um, what pigment is, it's basically like a little mini umbrella being popped up over your skin to protect the DNA in your skin. So that's what happens and it just gets left behind. With hormonal pigment, it's all down to estrogen. So high levels of estrogen can increase melanin production. And that's why things like hormonal medication, like the pill, pregnancy, are a very real risk factor for pigmentation. And in fact, 25% of women who are on the pill will develop melasma as a side effect of being on the pill, which I, for one, wasn't told about when I went onto the pill. Yeah, you're never, to you're um, never told So that. in saying that, what can you do? Um, and like most skin issues, prevention is better than cure. Um, but one of the biggest things that we can do is be religious about our SBF use. So once that pigment is there, it's like a magnet for UV. So we really need to protect it from getting further entrenched and from getting worse and from developing in the first place. If you're a picker, you need to stop picking because it's pretty much guaranteed that you'll get some pigmentation. Um, taking a good quality omega-3 will really help with having healthy melanocytes, which is the cells that produce melanin. Um, if it's hormonal, then you need to address the high, um, the cause of the high estrogen. So it's quite challenging to fix pigmentation if someone is still on that hormonal medication that's driving the issue. Um, but if you um, need help with clearing that after you stop taking it, or you know perhaps you have estrogen dominance, which is very common in women, then you can work with you know a clinical naturopath or nutritionist to clear that. Uh, topical ingredients work very very well. So things like niacinamide, vitamin A, vitamin C, glutathione, and repairing the skin barrier. Drinking licorice tea can be helpful as well. Um, wearing a hat and wearing polarized sunglasses. I mean, we need to understand that in Australia, the UV is 20 times stronger than in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm. And so wow. most of us genetically are from the Northern Hemisphere. If you ask people where their grandparents are from, they're saying they're from England, Ireland, Scotland. And so the UV here compared to there is 20 times stronger. So we need to be very, very diligent about using SPF on our face. Um, following an anti-inflammatory diet will help. And then using some LED 
um, is very helpful too. And those are the kind of things that I suggest or, or we actually um, do in clinic before progressing to those treatments like skin needling and laser and Cosmolan because we need to address the cause and not just the little bundle of pigment that we can see. Mm. Yeah, I was about to ask about skin needling actually and I've heard about Cosmolan lately. So if if you go down that path with pigmentation, do you think it's likely to come back if you don't address those underlying causes? Yeah. I do. Yeah, mm. that's the nature of pigment because, yep. um, you know, often it's entrenched in the dermal, um, mm. dermal epidermal junction. And so we can always sort of um, manipulate how visible it is, but we can't change what is entrenched in the dermal epidermal junction. So that's why we really need to be diligent in the summer months, mm. especially if we've been working on our pigment to make sure that we're still using all of those um, interventions and particularly SPF. And honestly, SPF is not enough in summer. We all need to be using topical antioxidants as well as SPF. Mm. Where do you where do you find the topical mm. anti antioxidants? Are that in creams or specific brands? Yeah, so I mean, I know the brands that I work with in my practice. Um, so I work with Dermavigils and I work with Osmosis, and so um, we we use ingredients in 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 there. So, you know, there's a big difference between professionally prescribed skincare based on a skin diagnostic imagery where we can see the level of pigmentation that's underlying and we can understand what need, what ingredients we need to be using on that and what other modalities that we need to be using on that. But I can say, you know, through my own experience treating melasma, that was really quite significant that it is very possible um, and it takes a little while, but it's very possible to treat um quite severe pigmentation without laser and without peels. Mm. Yeah. Asha, we'd love to get your take as well on antibiotics because I know you mentioned it in the beginning when you were talking about how they disrupt the gut. And I've personally, and I think a lot of people have gone through experience where you go to the dermatologist for an issue and they prescribe you an antibiotic. And this happened to me a couple months ago. I was so mm desperate because I'd been having issues with mm. something which I thought started from a face mask. And mm. so when I started researching about that antibiotic, the side effects looked horrendous. I didn't even want to touch it. And I hadn't touched antibiotics mm. for 10 years for my autoimmune condition because I felt like mm. that exacerbated or kicked off my symptoms or whatever, you know, yeah. chicken and the egg, hard to tell. But um, yeah, what's your take on antibiotics? Because I feel like it's often the go-to for many doctors. Yeah, absolutely. And look, they have their toolkit and, that, and that's what they're familiar with using. And what I often see, so if, if anyone's had complete resolution of their skin condition from antibiotics, they're probably not going to land on my doorstep, okay, because they've still got pre-existing concerns and so I don't generally tend to see anyone who's had complete resolution of their skin condition through antibiotics. What I do see is that and it really concerns me the long-term use of antibiotics because we know that just one round like two weeks of antibiotics can have a lifelong impact on the gut so and we know the gut is so important for skin health Okay, so it sometimes seems really counterproductive to be using antibiotics when we really need to be repairing the gut um, and the microbiome. 
So what I tend to see is that it can really reduce the symptoms whilst the person is taking it, but when they come off, they just kind of rebound or, or go back to mm. where they were. And there can be two reasons for that. So an antibiotic can work as an anti-inflammatory whilst you're taking it. And so it can have that anti-inflammatory effect. From my perspective, there are much more effective anti-inflammatory natural ingredients that we can use. And the other reason that it can improve a skin condition whilst you're using it and then, you know, it's not effective when you stop using it is because potentially that skin condition is being driven by a gut overgrowth. Right. So there are some times that we will actually recommend that people need to take antibiotics. And I never say that lightly. Um, and in those cases, it would be if we've actually confirmed, um, so say, say you've got eczema and your skin barrier is so impaired to the point of cracking and bleeding mm. and there's a lot of heat and a lot of redness. Um, it's quite likely that there's a, been a staph bacterial overgrowth develop because the barrier is so impaired. And we can test, we can ask the GPs to test for that. And so if someone's got a raging staph infection, you better believe that I'm going to be on board with them using topical, if not also internal um, antibiotics to resolve that staph overgrowth as well. It really does depend on the level of the overgrowth because, um, you know, developing antibiotic resistance to staph is a very real thing. And so we don't want to be going ham on the antibiotics for things like that. But if you have a staph overgrowth, it's it's really it can it can be problematic and quite dangerous. So we would definitely be looking at using you know working with a GP to use antibiotics in that case. Um, same thing for things like cellulitis. I do believe there's a case for using antibiotics. Uh, we work with someone who does uh, quite comprehensive gut testing and um, quite a few of our clients will show up as having bacterial overgrowth and depending on what comes up sometimes antibiotics are needed and then she goes in and she does you know um, gut repair and re-inoculation after that um, so there's definitely um, a place for them um, I just am not that person who loves pe people being put on doxycycline for three to six months or longer for their acne without having tried, you know, to look at um, the other, um, like, interventions that don't have side effects first. Yes. yes, that's it. And when you read up about the side effects mm. of doxycycline, I mean, it's... Gosh, that scared me enough to not even not even look at it. But I suppose the yeah. gut's so powerful as well. I think it's so important. Personally, your practitioner understands um, gut health and everything you've been, you know, you know about as well. Mm. It's really critical Absolutely. these days. And we really need to respect health autonomy. So uh, when when we're working with people, we need to respect that they will make decisions 
for themselves based on their mental health as well as their physical health. And so what I've learnt um, is that my role is to educate, but it's also to support and hold a place um, of non-judgment. So my place is to support that person's health autonomy and for them to make decisions about what they feel at the time is going to be best for their mm. their mental health as well as their mm. skin health. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I think, yeah, it's important for us to reiterate, we're absolutely not judging anyone who goes down conventional methods, particularly when it comes to the skin. It just seems like, you know, that that's the first port of call. And um, I'm really excited that we're talking to you and, you know, bringing this message to more people to show them that there are other ways to address things if they should choose to do that. But coming yeah, absolutely. From, yeah. And those things, from my perspective, are a last resort or mm. indicated because we have actually, you know, definitively found an overgrowth that requires eradication through that way. Um, but from my perspective, they're a last resort because I've seen so many success stories when we've used things that don't have side effects. Mm. And speaking of things that do have side effects, so and I know this is, you know, something... Um, that you come from personally as well is your acne story. I also suffered from acne as a teenager and, you know, my parents were very hesitant to put me on any form of birth control or um, Roaccutane, but I guess, you know, <laughs> I was in a stressful environment. My Looking back, I probably didn't realise that I had some food sensitivities, mm-hmm. you know, a, a perfect storm, um, and I was on Roaccutane um, because I just wanted clear skin, right? And um, I didn't know any other options. But can you talk us a bit more about acne and, and you know, what you see and how you go about treating it? Absolutely, yeah. And my favourite thing to treat and probably my highest success rate is with acne. I just absolutely love it. And whether that's because I resolved my own and then I was just so passionate about helping other people. But yeah, I, I absolutely I absolutely love it. And I love the lives that we change through this work as well. It's a real privilege. So there is quite a difference between teen acne and adult acne. Teen acne can be quite a lot easier to resolve because um, there's been less interventions. You know, they're not sort of winding up in our rooms after being on the pill for 10 years and we've got the compounding effects on the gut and liver and um, nutritional deficiencies to deal with as well. But if I could simplify, um, I would say that it's first and foremost, we're looking at the foundational things. And the biggest thing in acne is the blood sugar balancing. So when you've got imbalanced blood sugar, um, then you're really setting off a cascade of um, things like testosterone and DHT that will create the acne. So if we can balance blood sugar levels, then we actually end up balancing the hormones that are causing the acne. Now, it's not, you know, acne always gets clumped in with hormonal and it's definitely not always the case. It's, you know... um, gut it's inflammation it's stress it's food intolerances like you you mentioned however using the foundationals is extremely powerful so looking at an anti-inflammatory diet that's stabilizing blood sugar levels and going back to the food formula you know that works extremely well and for a period of three months eradicating inflammatory foods um, like your refined dairy 
sugars, um, vegetable oils like canola, um, alcohol, gluten. Okay, so um, three months um, we we ask that ninety five percent. You know, they were reduced by 95%. And then we're looking at that food formula that I was talking about before using the protein, et cetera. Um, looking at sleep. So sleep is extremely important for healing all skin conditions, but for acne. So looking at how much sleep someone is getting. And then those other things we touched on, like coffee, um, really, um, because coffee on an empty stomach not only will drive um, stress hormones but as soon as you engage cortisol um, you are also engaging insulin because they're like a married couple and so we're wanting to yeah really um, reduce um, the impact of cortisol and insulin through the diet and through lifestyle so those are the the foundational aspects is taking out those inflammatory foods making sure women are eating enough and eating often enough for their blood sugar levels, following the food formula, cutting out things that are going to drive um, hormonal imbalance like coffee and coffee on an empty stomach, alcohol on an empty stomach, reducing stress, increasing sleep. And then, um, you know, using some really amazing um, topicals so that we're able to heal from the outside in. So I always say that it's 70% internally driven 30% externally driven. So I find that working from both aspects are really important. And there are some aspects of skin that I can't fix with diet. So I can't fix indented scarring with diet. I can definitely increase all the nutritional cofactors to make sure that there's minimal further scarring. But if you have indented scarring, if you have pigmentation, then we need to use um, topicals and we need to use um, topical um, external modalities to correct that as well so I find that using both uh, works really really well I don't use a lot of supplements so I'm really big on using diet lifestyle and using skincare as a supplement from the outside in um, and if we don't have success with that in three months, then it's time for some testing. Mm. Ash, I think that's really refreshing as well to mm. hear that there is another option or route or alternative because I imagine, I don't know about your experience, JJ, mm. but if there was only kind of one option thrown your way. Yeah, I think I started off with some supplements that didn't really do anything and then, yeah, went on to the medication they were the yeah. options. And you know, because mm. you know why? Because supplements can't re re replace sleep and mm. supplements can't um, replace macronutrients. And, you know, if you're extremely stressed, then supplements aren't going to really touch the sides. Yeah. So what is most powerful is uh, like the foundational things, what we do every single day, um, what we what we have con control over doing in our daily life. Because I'm like a personal trainer. I can only show you what to do and it's really up to you to do it every day. Mm. Um, but it's those things, it's following a circadian rhythm um with with your day and your night routines that I do quite a lot with my clients as well and um there is definitely a place for supplements but I only believe in using supplements after you've done testing so that you um know very accurately what that person needs and you know supplements can be quite expensive so um wanting to make sure that um they're individualized and we're not just you know, broadly kind of saying, oh, you need this and then this. 
Does everybody need fish oil? Yes. Does everyone with acne need beef liver? Yes. Uh, but that's about the extent of the supplementation that I will do. But I am very, very um, uh, motivational around diet. So if someone wants to work with me, they need to know that they'll be doing a lot of dietary. Mm. And speaking of um, diet, we are very much about, you know, the power of um, home-cooked meals and getting people inspired to get back in their kitchen and, and eat real food without any of those things like vegetable oils um, that you've mentioned. I'd love to know, I know you've mentioned, you know, a lot about this this balanced plate of, of macronutrients and, and what would, would benefit skin health, but was there one meal that you've cooked in the past couple of weeks that was a bit of a winner that you can share with us and get us inspired about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say that um, my favourite and, and my family's favourite is probably the beef taco bowl that I make. Um, so I I love using um, beef liver powder in that as well to really supercharge it. Um, I'm a big fan of Mexican food, but yeah, I love a beef taco bowl and you can get your good fats in there as well with some Greek yogurt or coconut yogurt on the top and avocado on the top. It's got a you know, a bit of spice to it as well. But so many um, women with acne are deficient in iron and B12. And so to be having that, you know, organic beef in the beef taco bowl and to be having that beef liver in there as well, it's really nourishing for rectifying those deficiencies that we need in the skin. Mm, yeah, sounds delicious. I'll have to um, get the recipe off you and we'll put it on the site and on the show notes as well. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. I love that beef powder idea as well to supercharge it. But we also just really wanted to thank you so much for your time, your wisdom. We can see you've helped so many people. Mm. And if listeners out there want to find out a bit more about what you've spoken about or get in touch, where's the best place? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple of different ways. Um, I've got a holistic multi-award winning clinic in Wurundjeri country, Fitzroy, Melbourne. So you can come and see us if you're in Melbourne. Otherwise, I do have an online um, masterclass that has helped hundreds of people with acne called Eat to Beat Acne. Um, and I know that you'll include our um, social handles and our website in the show notes as well. Great. Thanks, Asha. It was great to speak to you. Thanks so much. Liked this podcast? Please give us a five-star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. We want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. This podcast is general in nature. We aren't doctors or health practitioners. But if this podcast has prompted something for you, we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.